In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. King Saul is searching out the future King David to kill him in our first reading this weekend. Yet here's the odd thing. This just happened two chapters earlier in the same book of 1 Samuel. In chapter 24, Saul walks into a cave and David has the chance to kill him, but instead tears a piece of his cloak. When David later confronts Saul, he reveals the cloak piece and Saul weeps. He repents of wanting to kill David and says, You have treated me graciously, while I have treated you badly. But now, two chapters later, King Saul is back at it again. Again, he wants to kill the future King David. Some will say that this illustrates King Saul's manic depressive mood swings, but it could also be that what we actually have are two different renditions of a similar story, which both found their way into the first book of Samuel. In other words, there must have been some event in which David had the chance to kill Saul but didn't. And then over the years, that event became two different stories, one about Saul in a cave and then the other about Saul asleep in the camp. There's a couple characters whose names start with A in this story, and be helpful to introduce them. Abishai is David's nephew. That is, Abishai is the son of David's sister. But then we also have Abner, who is the commander of Saul's army. Abishai volunteers to go with David into the camp, while Abner was sleeping at the time. Speaking of sleep, we're told that the Lord puts Saul and the 3,000 picked men of his camp into a deep slumber which allows then for David and Abishai to infiltrate the camp. This deep slumber only occurs two other times in the Old Testament. First, when Adam falls asleep so that God can take his rib out of him. And two, when Abraham falls asleep and God makes the covenant with him. To conclude our look at the first reading this weekend, there's an awesome play on words in this story that we just miss based upon the verses chosen to be read at Mass. What we hear at Mass is a very abbreviated version of this 26th chapter of 1 Samuel. But in the full story, David calls out to Saul's camp from afar, and Abner, remember the king's commander, initially asks, Who are you who calls to the king? David answers that he is the one whom King Saul has been hunting, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. But here's the thing, the word for partridge in Hebrew is literally one calling on mountains. So it's as if David is saying, oh, who's the one who's been calling to the king? Well, it's the calling bird on the mountains, which he's been hunting. In our second reading, St. Paul is still talking to the Corinthians about their misguided understanding of the resurrection of the dead. Here, he makes a contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam, Christ. It's helpful to think that Paul is not talking so much here about origins as he is the material makeup of these two different Adams. The first Adam made from the earth, and the second Adam, made from heaven. Joseph A. Fitzmaier summarizes the otherwise confusing point St. Paul is trying to make here by saying this, Just as all Christians have the same sort of body and condition as Adam had now, so after this earthly experience, they will have the same sort of body and condition as the heavenly risen Christ. We continue in Jesus' Sermon on the Plain for our Gospel passage this weekend. In the opening words of Jesus, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, shocked his audience then as much as it shocks us today. In Jesus' time, the Roman Empire was thoroughly despised throughout the land and especially by the Jewish people. So 
So as Jesus was amassing a crowd of followers, and certainly some in the crowd were thinking he'd be the one to overthrow the oppressive Romans, Jesus shocks everyone by saying, in essence, love the Romans and do good to them. Many take Jesus' words here about turning the other cheek literally, but we need to drill down to the disposition Jesus is putting forward here rather than the absurd command to continually invite harm from others. After all, as St. Thomas Aquinas observed, Jesus himself didn't offer his other cheek and say, hit this one too, when he was being mocked after being arrested. Rather, the invitation to turn the other cheek demonstrates a desire to reverse the universal urge for retaliation. Rather than saying, oh, you slapped me and now I'm going to slap you, Jesus is encouraging his followers not to fall into the trap of vengeance. Lastly, I want you to think of five guys' fries when you hear the final verse of our gospel. You know, that restaurant that when you order a side of fries, they give you so many that you receive the fries in a giant brown bag? That's sort of like what Jesus is after at the very end of our gospel. He says, a good measure, packed together, shaken down and overflowing, will be poured into your lap. This is an image from the marketplace. If someone was purchasing grain, let's say, and really wanted to get her money's worth, she would make sure the grain was all packed tightly into the container. And then she may have even shaken it around to make even more space. Then on top of that, if the container was overflowing with grain, she knew she really was getting a good deal. It's the same idea here. The measure with which you measure will, in return, be measured out to you. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year C. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.